On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. But they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So if you have a Bibles open at that uh, chapter, we're looking at uh, the section in chapter 4 as well as chapter 5. So we've got a big section today. So really we're going to approach it like a, like a drone. Uh, we're just going to sort of look above, uh, dip down now and again. Uh, but obviously such a big section, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time in all of these areas that might, we might be able to. But uh, if you have your Bibles open, then we are going to uh, begin, of course, in chapter uh, 4. John Patton, or Peyton, was a missionary to the new um, Hebrides Islands, which is in the South Pacific. And he, he went there with his wife in 1858. And initially, he faced great opposition from the locals as they began to uh, share with them the good news of Jesus. And he records, One morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men, and a chief intimated that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus for what seemed the last time on earth. Rising, I went out to them and began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and contrasting it with all my conduct towards them. At last, some of the chiefs who had attended the worship, they must have had some service and had come, uh, rose and said, our conduct has been bad, but now we will fight for you and kill all those who hate you. So, on the one hand, they, they kind of knew deliverance from their, 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 what would potentially was their personal uh, demise, uh, and yet they are remarkably delivered. He obviously has to have another conversation with them about the fact that they're going to go out and kill all the people that uh, apparently hate them. But uh, in this moment, there's this sense, this could be the end, but in God's providence, on this occasion, they know this great deliverance. It's an unusual event, I don't doubt. But deliverance they knew. And in some way, that's where we want to land today in looking at this section, chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're going to be talking uh, about deliverance in a ver various areas. Deliverance from danger and demons and disease and death itself. And at the heart of everything, there is this uh, King Jesus. The passage, of course, in the section is a long one, and it is about that deliverance from a variety of things. The highlight, though, is not so much 
the story of um, what people have been delivered from, although it is a remarkable story. But actually, it's more about the one who's able to facilitate that deliverance. It's about Jesus who has power over all of these elements as they're stacked up one against the other and King Jesus comes in and nothing will stop his purpose, nothing will stop his work, nothing will stop his advance. Whatever is thrown against him, King Jesus will have the full and final word. I think that's tremendously important even before we go any further in our own lives. I don't know where you are at, but to understand that whatever is transpiring and whatever is taking place, and if we are those who love Jesus Christ, then Christ has the full and final word in our life. Sometimes it might look chaotic. Sometimes it might look uh, questionable and difficult. But this passage is telling us that King Jesus is in absolute control and we can have the affirmation and the confidence that our lives are rooted in Him. If Mark is asking the question, which he seems to be doing, or at least making the statement right at the beginning of the gospel in chapter 1, as you no doubt came to it, and as you read there in the first verse, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's setting out his material to tell us that this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And even if we had just this section, it is telling us something remarkable. And if we had nothing else, this is saying, I am Jesus, and I am the Son of God. And so let's come and uh, have our focus this morning. And if in this chapter, and we read it in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear, these are the disciples, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So if they're saying that in chapter 4, as we move into chapter 5 as well, our focus could be in that chapter, who is this that all of these things, demons, disease, and death obey him? Nothing is beyond his voice. So here, in the first instance, it's Jesus delivering from danger. It's been a long day. Uh, the crowds have gathered. There have been much teaching. There have been many questions and instruction. And as the day closes, Jesus tells the disciples they're going to cross the lake. They're going to go over the sea. They're going to go to the other side. A journey that the fishermen had done on numerous occasions. So they'll not need satnav. Uh, they'll not need the coordinates. They really know the way. They've done it numerous occasions. This is their territory. This is their working environment. As the journey progresses, so there's this sudden storm that engulfs them. Uh, not an unusual phenomenon in the area. The uh, cold air from the mountains uh, coming and meeting the warm air uh, of the sea would uh, cause this climate unrest. I sound like I'm a weather forecaster, but that's exactly what's happening as the air meets cold, meets warm, and suddenly there's this storm. Today, forecasted would, would give us a warning, and they'd give it a, uh, a name. This storm to me is, uh, well, we've had Storm Bella, we've had Storm Kieran, I don't know what's coming, but it's all rolled into one. This is a mighty storm. So much so that the seasoned fishermen are absolutely petrified. 
They've been in storms previously. They would have a great respect for dangers and the demands of the sea, but this is on another scale. I remember talking to a fisherman from the north of Scotland, and uh, he would be out, and he, he wasn't a believer as such, um, but he made the comment that he's been in storms where there are no atheists. Suddenly, if there's a God, save us. And they come out of the storm, and that God is long forgotten. But so long as you get us out. But here we've got these fishermen, and they're in this storm. And uh, it's on another scale from whatever they've had before. So, where's Jesus? Well, the passage is very clear where Jesus is, um, and he's sleeping. The question, of course, the disciples have for him is uh, in verse 39, but teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So in the heart of this moment, with waves bashing, it's a remarkable one, isn't it, when you think about it? I mean, uh, I've been in a boat, it's been stormy, I didn't fall asleep. But here Jesus is at complete rest. We have a, a kind of little caveat moment of seeing his humanity. We know that we're told that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. God here is God the Son, but having taken on human flesh, there is that frailty and that fragility and that humanity that means that he has to eat food, and he has to rest. He's fully God, and he's fully man, and here he is asleep in this boat. Don't you care that we are in this danger? Now, I don't know what they expected him to do, but I don't think they anticipated what he was going to do. I think maybe they thought he would just get another bucket like the rest of them and bail the water out or whatever was required to, to somehow get through this storm. And so they cry out, don't you care? And at the heart of this narrative, we're given a picture that Jesus does care. When everything is chaotic, when everything is confusing, the second person of the Trinity cares. And he enters in to the detail of the moment. Mark is the only gospel who, in narrating this occasion, speaks about other little boats, verse 36. So there's the boat that Jesus and the disciples are in, but there's a load of other boats. The storm is not just centered on this little moment, but the rest of them are in upheaval too. So the fact that Jesus Christ exercising particular care for the disciples in this moment, there's a general sense of care for the whole of humanity who experiences whatever takes place. And it is a remarkable occasion. And there are moments, I think, in our world, certainly I've had it in my world. God, don't you care? Where are you? What's happening? Emotions are capturing our hearts and minds. We're at a loss to understand what's going on. Those emotions can be born out of fear, but certainly it's the uncontrollable that dominates. Nothing is changing, and we declare our insecurity. 
Well, Jesus does speak and he does care. He does bring peace and he shows his presence. We know that Jesus says, I am with you always. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And so, understanding that Jesus enters into this moment is uh, of great significance. And it is interesting, isn't it? And clearly, uh, the narrative is demanding of us that knowledge that Christ then has power over the nature itself. I mean, put yourself in the boat. And he awoke, verse 39, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. What a moment. We just live in Bootle, not that far from uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Crosby area and all that seafront and uh, I've been down when it has been, because you go down because the, when the waves are pouring in, it's a, just a remarkable sight. I've never taken a lot of people down with me and told them, listen, just come with me because I'm going to stop this. You know, just, you, I want you to watch this moment and uh, stand by Crosby uh, Pier or whatever it is and uh, stop. Well, no, it's not going to happen. But he stands in a boat, and he gets up, and he says, stop. And it all happens. Now, Jesus didn't often kind of circumvent the laws of nature, but what he is saying is, I can, and I can stop this. I'm the creator and the maker, and I'm all-powerful. So where are you at the moment What's going on in your life? Who is Jesus? So Jesus is the one that calms the moment and expresses his care, and he delivers. And that gives us perspective, and it gives us hope, and everything changes because we have the king. Now, it is very interesting, isn't it? When you um, see them, they had great fear when the waves were battering around them. You know, they were totally petrified, quaking out of their boots, sandals. And then Jesus stills the water. You know, always think, wow, that's it. Isn't that amazing? That's great. Thank you, Jesus. Didn't think you'd do that, but... No, verse 41, they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who is this? So they're as, as fearful now as they were before, in a potentially a different way, but this awe and this knowledge... And here we are, this side of the cross, the power of King Jesus, who did his work and was raised from the dead and is alive today. We bow in humble adoration before this great king. We're moving into chapter 5. I think the drones came down and didn't go back up again. It's going up now, and uh, we'll need to make sure that we are keeping an eye on the clock. So it's chapter 5, because we're going to read verses 1 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles open there, that would be great to follow. As uh, we begin our kind of next uh, uh, layer of who Jesus is and what he does, and he delivers uh, from demons. So they came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he 
wrenched the chains apart, broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and cried with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and uh, how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Well, to our ears, I think, as you listen to it, it's a strange story. And it different levels. This very evident demon possession is not something we might witness in our Western communities, but that would be to lose sight of Satan and his power, which can take uh, different forms. In this form, very particular, but let's not run away that somehow Satan is not doing stuff in our secular society. He's doing a whole lot of stuff, which we're embracing. And we need to be aware of his power and uh, his seeming control. But in this instance, it is this demon possession. Also, we've got the curious element of the demons uh, entering the pigs and then jumping over the cliff into the sea. Clearly, this man is in a terrible condition. Controlled by demons, there's a clear danger to himself, and there's a clear danger to the community around. They've chained him, but it, whatever they put on him, he breaks those chains. His power is immense. Immense. Oppressed and possessed, his life is not his own. He's controlled by a legion, by many demons. We have then this conversation between the demons and Jesus, and they ironically recognize who Jesus is. And they uh, say as much, verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Well, that's a great statement. And the mouth of the demons, recognizing who this person is. They try to control the situation. But, of course, Jesus is having none of it. And he's able to, as it were, name them and able to control them. He's not going to allow them to control the narrative. He will bend, it seems, to certain things, and he will allow certain things to happen. But that's all within his ambit, with all within his control. 
We then do have this little pig problem, or rather big pig problem, given there's 2,000 of them. Uh, the Jewish readers not shedding any tears over uh, loss of uh, pigs as such. Um, but this is a Gentile region, and uh, the sense becomes apparent that the people are more concerned about economic issues than they are about somebody who could make good their community. That seems to be at the back of much that's going on. Here's this man who can come in, and there's a demon-possessed man that has been a problem within the community for generations, and it's dealt with at once. And yet, as the community comes and hears, they are afraid. Notice again, there's fear being part of the narrative. And although they see this man clothed and sitting in his right mind, they recognize him, they can authenticate that it is him, and he's sensible, and he's uh, normal, and he's no longer a threat to himself or to them. And yet, they're keen to see the back of Jesus. Leave us. Get out of here. What's going on? Well, of course, Jesus has power to bring transformation into this um, terrible situation. All of humanity is bound by sin in every society in some form or another. Now, it might not be recognized within our secular society, but we're bound by sin. And what is undeniable, we have every evidence of that sin in our societies, demonstrated in the conduct of humanity, one to another. And Jesus has come to deal with every evidence of power and uh, might that would come against God and come against Him and come against humanity. Jesus is there saying, come out, go here. He has the control. He has the authority. And we know at the cross, Jesus defeats sin and death and Satan. Nothing stands in his way. So, released from the debt and the consequence, this man has been released, as it were, and indeed, when he wants to go with Jesus, he says, let me come with you. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go with Jesus? This is the deliverer. He says, no, you can't come with me. I want you to go and tell others, though. I want you to go and tell others just the mercy that you have experienced. The blessing that you've come to know. I want you to go and tell them about what the Lord has done. He's been released from the prison that he was in and from the debt, as it were, that he was owing. Paul, the um, apostle, was able to write, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. He set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's no longer a hold. Where are you today? Many of you love Jesus. You have been released from the penalty and condemnation of sin itself. You can sing these hymns, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. There might be those here today who've yet to acknowledge that. You are still actually bound and oppressed because sin has control. We wouldn't admit it. Pride doesn't let us admit that. And other matters too. But this king comes 
And as we're gifted by faith, we can see. And may we cry out then today, it might be this morning, this Sunday, you might cry out, what must I do to be saved? It seems there's a population here more intent in an economy than they are in rest, peace, and what this man can bring. Get out, we don't want you. The third thing we've got is in chapter 5, verses 21 to 34, which we're going to come to now, and that is that Jesus delivers from disease. Let's read just those verses, 21 to 34. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, Who touched, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, uh, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the story moves on. We're building the narrative, or Mark is building the narrative in terms of presenting who Jesus is. You're asking questions about who Jesus is? This is the one that calms storms. Natural world is in his control. This is the one that no matter what Satan, uh, the power will throw against him, he is in control. We meet, in the first instance, a significant religious leader, and his daughter is unwell. Uh, But he believes that if Jesus comes, then uh, there's going to be hope. I don't know if you're like me, but I guess sometimes you have that feeling. You've you've made an appointment, uh, you're traveling along in the car, whatever it is, and the the traffic is against you. Every, Every light is a red light, isn't it? Uh, and something is holding us up, and we might keep checking our watches and get a bit troubled with the queue ahead and get uh, impatient, maybe having a little bit of road rage. Of course, I would never have any of that. I'm a very, very patient driver, but we might have experienced that. We want to be somewhere. We can't be somewhere. We get frustrated. Apparently, Jesus needs to get to this house. There's a girl that's unwell, very unwell. She's very poorly. But he gets delayed en route. I mean, Jairus must be kind of thinking, well, you've got to come with me. And here he's saying, well, somebody's touched me. The disciples say, I mean, come on, Jesus. There's such a crowd around here. Everybody's touching you. But no, something else has happened, isn't there? 
And there's this unnamed woman who's had a troubling condition for many years, who's spent everything she's got. She's gone to see all the professionals. She's tried the acupuncture. She's tried the NHS, well, the equivalent of. Uh, She's tried absolutely everything, and nothing, nothing is meeting her need. She's drained of her finances. She's drained of her physical energy. And she thinks, though... (laughs) I think I've heard enough about Jesus that if I can get just to touch him, that that that'll be that'll work for me. I mean that is great faith, isn't it? Just touch him. And that's exactly what happens. And we have these two little narratives, one alongside the other, because you make a bit of a contrast between you've got a woman and you've got a man. She's unnamed and he is named. She's unclean. He's a synagogue ruler. She's an outsider. He's an insider. She approaches privately. It's a big public approach for Jairus. She has a public healing. He experiences a private healing, or his daughter. So you've got these two narratives laid aside, one against the other, and we just hear what happens in these two people's lives. There are different backgrounds, there are different situations. In the case of the woman, she has a disease, and it's here that Jesus stops. Jairus' blood pressure, no doubt, increasing. Jesus knows all things, though, and he knows what's happened. But what will be on display is the woman's trust and recognition as to who he is. So he knows he's been touched, and he knows all things. So the narrative is designed and used as a picture of spiritual inability and drawing her out in her faith, disclosing what has gone on. And so we can understand that in the midst of this moment, here is this woman, and uh, she's able to appreciate as she comes to Jesus that he's the one that is going to Uh, clear her and uh, release her from this uh, sickness. Now, Jesus today, of course, or as we live, uh, has power to deal with physical disease without doubt. But we're being brought to understand, I think, in this narrative that he has power over greater spiritual needs. And that is the condition of all humanity. We too are in a desperate plight. It might not be noticeable, But it's there, and we are being drained. We've no hope. But as we tentatively explore, and as we ask the questions, well, who is Jesus? We realize, actually, there's nobody else that we can go to. And that woman, or this woman, has come to that point. She's gone everywhere else. And now she comes to Jesus, as she has that opportunity. And we can come this morning and we can know a wonderful deliverance because Jesus Christ has authority over all things. Finally, we come to the last section, which is verses 35 to 42, and uh, Jesus delivers from death. So, verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any more or any further. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, 
Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which it means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they went immediately, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. There might be a point in that journey that you're on trying to get to the appointment when you realize you're not going to make it. Just forget it. It's going to be too late. And we resign ourselves to the fact, whatever it was, we're not going to be there. For Jairus, the worst happens as the message comes that there's, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore. This is going to be beyond him, you see. We've got to the point where it's death and death Nobody can answer death. There's nobody that can um, meet this situation. Don't bother him. We've called for the undertaker. The mourners are already here. And everything's in place for the funeral. What terrible news, his only daughter is dead. And he clearly loves her. And in this case, his world has fallen apart and his worst fears have been realized. It's devastation. But we are learning that Jesus is the deliverer. He is the one in control of death itself. It's not beyond him. The great certainty for everybody, rich or poor, for all of us, the great certainty, what is it? Death and taxes, they say. Well, I don't know what you think about taxes, but death is for us all. Whether you're famous or anonymous, celebrity or unknown. But Jesus deals with it. Or he shows he has the ability to deal with this physical death. And we have this awesome moment. I mean, he raises her from the dead and he tells them, don't tell anybody. I mean, you know, it's all about Jesus being in control. It's all about Jesus not being apprehended and taken before his hour. Um, but it's all kind of nuanced in a way to say that I am the authority over absolutely everything. There'll be no surprises to the second person of the Trinity. A storm is not going to cause him any issue. A woman with a disease, or rather a, a man full of demons, a woman with a disease, and in this room where a little girl lies dead, she has breathed her last, the mourners are wailing, it's been authenticated that this girl is dead and beyond life. Not that she swooned and fainted and... Uh, just so happened right at the right time that Jesus came and, oh, she's up. No, this is the final moment. 
they're preparing to take her out, as it were. And he deals with it. Where are we then today? Well, the point of the whole thing is, of course, that Jesus is the answer to death. Uh, in our Friday club, we're going through John's Gospel, and we looked at Lazarus on, uh, on Friday, that great moment, and Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out of the grave, and there he comes. Ooh. The power of that moment, very public, this is very private, but all the more powerful in that sense as Jesus answers that physical need. But the point being made in both instances and in this instant is that Jesus is the answer to that physical need, but he's also the answer to death itself. This girl is going to die again at some point, as Lazarus was going to die again. So it was a temporary back to life. But Jesus has power over that physical, but he has power over the spiritual dead, as it were. Jesus meets the need, but he also is the answer to life after death. Heaven for those who are in Christ, hell and separation for those that refuse and fail to acknowledge his personhood, his action, his love, his mercy and grace. That's the reality, isn't it? But the great moment and the great declaration of this passage as Mark builds the material is Christ has power over death itself. What's the hymn, Christ, our hope in life and death? It's here. It's this moment that we can come with all of our um, kind of questions and concerns. And uh, what could happen next uh, I was out yesterday, came home, and there was this letter, uh, Paul James Gennard, private, confidential. I thought, oh, right, have I done it? Speeding fine, it, whatever it is, open it up. I'm in my 65th year coming up, so apparently they're on a scan uh, for some stuff, and uh, I, I, I'm going to have a scan, because I'm getting to that stage. I don't know what's going to happen next. And, uh, but I do know that King Jesus is in control and that our hope and our help in every situation is to be acknowledged in our Saviour. And if we fully accept our condition, then we need, if we, if we accept that we are sinful, that we are separated from God, we need a deliverer. We need a Saviour. We need Christ to be our master. We need him to set us free from sin. We need him to be the answer to death and its consequences. Well, may this morning as we've kind of flown over Mark 4 and Mark 5, just come to see again, who is this Jesus? And listen, there's a message out there a philosophy out there and it's telling us that Jesus doesn't matter. It's telling us that the material matters, that the sensory things matters, about who I am and who I identify that matters. That's all the messages that we're getting, isn't it? And this tells us 
that there's only one that matters. Because he's the one in control of everything. And it's King Jesus. So whatever you think, may by God's grace you come this morning and say, Jesus, you're master of my life. Thank you, Jesus. And let's live in the light of him. May God bless us and help us. Word of prayer, and then we'll hand back over to Rich. Heavenly Father, thank and praise you for your blessing, for your goodness, for your care. Lord, help us that we may be a people who trust the King. Nothing, nothing is beyond you, King Jesus. You are the master you are the power. You are the deliverer. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.